Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Come on, side, 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 What up, y'all? It is your boy, Ed Lover, and it is time for another Good Son Podcast. Well, today, my head is heavy because I lost another friend. And it seems like, as of late, I've been losing friends left and right, up and down, sideways. Any way you slice it, I've been losing friends. And for me, this has been going on for a long, long time. Like, within the span of three years in the 90s, I lost so many people that I knew. And it's just crazy. Like when you when you really think about it, it's crazy, man. And it really kind of started off um when I lost my boy Stretch, part of the Live Squad, a group that I was really involved with. Stretch was a former drug dealer from uh New York City that turned his life around through hip hop music. He was also one of the best friends with Tupac. Him and Tupac would always be together. Like, a lot of times you saw Pac, you saw Stretch, and, you know, and it was vice versa, man. I mean, these guys really, really, really loved each other. You know what I mean? And um, when I lost Stretch, it was a serious, serious, serious blow, man. I mean, like, uh, uh, the ultimate blow for me. You know what I mean? Um, I lost Stretch in 1995. To give you a little further background on Stretch, Stretch was with Tupac, um in the recording studio in New York City when Tupac was allegedly shot um, that many times and grazed himself and went to the hospital and all that. Stretch was there with him. Stretch was one of the, was the only person with him, actually, one of the people that would lay down on the floor with Tupac. And then a year to the day after that happened at the Quad Studios in New York City, Stretch was killed um, on 209th Street in Queens, New York, and 111th Avenue, which is actually one whole block away from my mom's house. And uh, I was at a club in New York City called Carbon, waiting on Stretch uh, to meet him. And that was in 1995, Randy Stretch Walker. And then, of course, we lost Tupac in 1996, another dear friend of me. And then we lost Biggie in 1997. Um, we also lost, I can remember exactly where I was when... Um, when uh, Aaliyah died, I can remember exactly where I was 
when Jam Master Jay was shot in Queens, I can exactly remember exactly where I was when Left Eye died. I mean, all of these people were so young, you know, so young and passed away, man. So, so young. Um, and it's just amazing to me that you can look at this and, and, and you just see all of these people passing away. But it seems like recently, as we get older and our ages increase, that we're losing more and more and more people. I just lost a friend, universe, former Universal Music Group, marketing and promotions guru, um, Garnett Reed. I had just saw Garnett um, in Los Angeles. I was in Los Angeles recently to do a show for uh, TV called Fresh Off the Boat. I did a cameo on that show. Um, during the time I was there, I didn't really have anything to do. So there was a, there's a mall really close to the hotel. So I walked down to the mall, just run around. and ran into a friend of mine by the name of Tracy. And Tracy asked me what I was doing in town, blah, blah, blah. After small talk, Tracy goes, uh, Ed, you should come to this Anthony Hamilton party tonight at the Soho House. Soho House is a really exclusive members-only private type of place where it takes at least two people to get you even thought about becoming a member of the Soho House. I walk into Soho House, and the first person I run into is Woody Harrelson. And uh, from fame, you know, from um, Cheers fame, excuse me, I'm going to say from fame, from Cheers fame, and he says to me, oh, my God. Uh, I said, Mr. Harrelson, how you doing? I love your work. And he goes, oh, my God, uh, wow, it's Ed Lover. And uh, we laughed and, and joked. He asked me where I was going. I told him to the Anthony Hamilton party. And then he says to me, when you finish at the party, you should come by Bill Maher and I at the bar. Going to be upstairs at the bar having drinks. So cool. I go into the Anthony Hamilton birthday affair, small affair, intimate affair. JB Smooth is there amongst a, a, a lot of other people. I see Anthony Hamilton. I've known him for a long time. And I see Garnett Reed. And I'm like, oh my God, Garnett, what's up? Garnett and I are both from Queens, New York, both in the same neighborhood in Queens. So we always share the love of being from Queens. We always share the love of music. We also had, both of us had a big love of sneakers. Part of the sneaker culture, absolutely. We used to go hard on sneakers, Garnett and I. So I'm talking to Garnett, and it was good to see Garnett. And then I come back to uh, Atlanta, where I reside now. And not long after that, I do ATL Live with Shanti Dodds and, and Marlon Nichols. It's a, a monthly uh, what you would call showcase of up-and-coming artists that they do, and I'm the host of it, and going into our second season, I'll be hosting it again. They've been doing it for a long time. This will be my second season of hosting it, and who do I see there? DJ Trauma, Garnett Reed. We take a picture, myself, Trauma, Shanti Dawes, and yeah, we all took a picture, and I'm laughing and joking with Garnett. Everything is fine, and then I found out last night that Garnett passed away. Some folks are saying it was a suicide, that he, he was outside of the loop of the music business. And some people are saying it was natural causes, that he had a heart attack. Um, as we get more information, I'll let you know. But a lot of people are saying that it was a suicide. And Garnett, through Universal Music Group, introduced us or helped introduce us to Nelly, Lil Wayne, Drake, Beyonce, and the list goes on and on and on from when he, from his Universal days. Before that, he was at Payday Records. Um, after he left Universal, he teamed up with Jam Master Jay. Um, uh, Jam Master Jay's partner, Randy, and Jam Master Jay's nephew, Bo, had a group. Um, Garnett was uh, managing that group. Then he left New York and came down to Atlanta, where he was 
you know, helping Cash Money get on. I mean, he was doing independent promotions for a little bit of everybody, and including 50 Cent and G-Unit. Everybody loved Garnett because Garnett, if you had a great record and you needed to get that record to the next level, Garnett could help you get that record played. It was out, like, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And my man Rob Love is another guy like that over at Def Jam. You know, Baby Sam and, and, and Sam Crespo and the list goes, Kev Holiday. The list goes on and on of all these record reps that I know. Back in the days, Mr. Michael Kaiser worked for Def Jam as a record rep. Fat Man Scoop, who won Grammys, was a record rep at Tommy Boy. So I had a relationship with all of these guys, but my relationship with Garnett was really, really, really special, being that we're both from Queens, New York, and it was broke my heart, it shattered me to hear that Garnett passed away. But it also brought up bad memories for me, because it seems like more and more nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, we are losing our black men to suicide, and black women. And I don't know right now the grapevine is saying it was suicide. Some members of his family are saying natural causes, but it made me want to talk about suicide just in case it's true. We lost Shakir Stewart at 34 years old, senior vice president of Island Def Jam, gave the world Young Jeezy and Rick Ross. If it wasn't for Shakir Stewart, them two dudes would not be signed and not be the superstars that they are today. Shakir Stewart, everybody called him Shake. He was only 34 years of age. Singer vice president at Island Def Jam, what would make somebody at 34 years old and a singer vice president had all the swag in the world, man. I remember going to Washington, D.C. for Kenny Burns' birthday party. Kenny Burns is an executive, um, been around for a long time. Um, had a big record company, an independent record company that he had to deal with Bad Boy through. And then Kenny went on to do different things, worked at Rockefeller for, as a senior vice president for a while, was a senior vice president over um, at, um, with, with, with Bad Boy and with Puffy and, and, and with Puffy's um, Revolt television, you know, entertainment company. Um, went to D.C. to go to Kenny Burns' birthday party. Kenny and I have been friends for a long time as well as my good friend Leo Williams, is like a brother to me. And I uh, hung out with Shake all night, had a good time. Common was there, Taraji P. Henson was there. They were dating at the time. Um, it was cool. We drank champagne like it was water. I remember that. My wife and I always laugh about that because we stayed at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel after that party, and we went home and tried to make love, and we couldn't do it. We was just dating at the time. Both of us were so drunk. I was like eight bottles of rosé in. I mean, we stand on the couches. We having a good time. We talking shit. Shake is in the best spirits, and then I don't know how much longer it was after that that I got the call that he had committed suicide. And it's just like, wow, 34 years old, you're the singer vice president of Def Jam, you have a wife, you have children, what would make you commit suicide? And then, of course, my former next door neighbor and damn good friend, Mr. Chris Lighty from Violator Management, 44 years old, responsible for guiding the careers of Missy, Buster, 50, of course, did that vitamin deal with 50 that got him all of that damn money and it made Chris a really rich man, too. And speaking of 50, I remember when 50 was bubbling on the mixtapes all around the country, but especially in New York City, he was bubbling after How to Rob and he got shot and, you know, they blamed it on Supreme from the Supreme team or whatever. His beef with famous beef with Ja Rule, he was out of the limelight. Everybody had dropped him. Nobody wanted to deal with him. 
Eminem signs him, Dr. Dre, all of that aftermath, shady aftermath, G-Unit, game to G-Unit deal, Chris is managing him, and uh, Get Rich or Die Trying is getting ready to come out. Chris comes uh, to my house and rings the bell. We live directly next door to each other. Um, we have children that's right around the same age. His son, Christian, and my youngest daughter, um, Summer, who's about 18 now. Summer will be 18, so that means Christian is either 18 or going to be 18. Uh, years of age and uh, we had we lived on a cul-de-sac and for their first birthday party I remember Chris and I pulled our money and uh, we blocked off the entire block and had like a circus we had a big slide we had a pony ride we had a train that went around the whole cul-de-sac it was funny because Chris and I used to laugh about that we spent in excess of $15,000 for our children's first birthday party and both of them slept throughout the whole damn party we never we used to laugh about that all the time um, another thing I really remember about Chris is when I first moved in to my house next door to his, Chris had one of those long driveways that you go up and you could drive damn near to the stairs and then walk in the house or go through the garage. He had a lot of front yard, and so do I. Um, so did I at the time. Mine was more circular. But mine wasn't finished. I didn't have anything. And Chris had, like, blacktop like you see in the street. Chris had blacktop in his driveway. So when I had a guy come lay down my driveway, I had him come lay down pep, um, um, I had him lay down stones. I had him lay down cobble, like almost like cobblestones, but they call paving stones. So I had him lay down paving stones in my driveway. It cost me a pretty penny too. I didn't have any bushes, anything in the front. So I had him come in and do all the landscaping and put bushes and flowers and everything there and then lay down these paving stones. It's great paving stones in my house and it looked beautiful and had to trim all the way around, it cost me a lot of money. So I remember Chris came over after my paving stones were done and looked at my paving stones and said, you motherfucker, you are not going to make my house look fucking stupid. Who did your paving stones? And I gave him the guy's number. And not only did Chris put down paving stones in his entire driveway, he had to one-up me and he had them heated. So anytime it snowed and I had to shovel my snow, Chris could flip a switch in his house and melt the snow in his fucking driveway and all around the, around the front of his house, in his yard, in the driveway. I was like, good God almighty, man. So anyway, Chris comes over one night and he rings the bell and he says, come here, I want to show you something. And I remember it's me and my assistant, D. Uh, Dana Brown was my assistant at the time and we go in Chris's basement he has this Apple computer like one of the first really cool looking ones that came out and he pulls up the album cover for Get Rich or Die Trying with the shot through the glass and 50 there with the do-rag on and the Gucci gun holster and the Gucci belt and I was like yo this motherfucker is about to take over the fucking world with this dude and lo and behold he did and he's really responsible for bringing Hollis to Hollywood I mean, he's the guy that, that got LL the Gap commercial deal, which really broke the door open for rappers to get down with corporate America and with Madison Avenue and with the Gap and different clothes and stuff like that. And in that ad, if you remember the commercial, LL wore a FUBU hat. And that's the first time we saw FUBU. He snuck that FB hat into a Gap commercial, which I thought was fucking brilliant. And it ran all over the place. And at... The young age of 44 years old, coming all the way from the Bronx and the projects and everything that he worked so hard to accomplish from his children. I mean, all of his children, I know all of Chris's children. 
and managing and guiding the careers of Missy and LL and Buster and 50 and Mob Deep and so on and so on and Tribe Called Quest and Q-Tip and Mona Scott Young from Love and Hip Hop fame is his partner. From guiding all of these people at 44 years old, you commit suicide. Chris was so cocky, none of us believed that he committed suicide. It was so shocking to us that 50 Cent had an independent investigator investigate whether or not Chris committed suicide. His brothers, I know his brothers, his sisters, his moms, everybody. When you live next door to somebody like that, we really, really knew each other. And it was just a shock to me that Chris would commit suicide. Um, right across the street from me where I grew up at in Queens, the Tillman family was right across the street from me. Recently, uh, the youngest son, Craig Tillman, committed suicide. This is an epidemic. And a lot of us were talking to each other that's in this music business. And we have come to one conclusion. You cannot let what you do for a living define who you are. Sometimes in this business, we find ourselves on the outside looking in. It's happened to me. When I lost my job at Power 105, The Breakfast Club is now one of the more popular morning radio shows in the country. I never got the opportunity to get what The Breakfast Club has now. A lot of the things that are being implemented through The Breakfast Club is a lot of the ideas that I came up with when I was on the morning show on Power 105. I said, hey, we need to spend money on world star hip hop. We need to shoot video of all our interviews separately than what our radio show is, because I understood, I saw it, and I understood that content was king, and content can make you popular. That's why when I was at Power 105, I came up with Come On, Son. That's why when I was at Power 105, I was, um, you know, I had Oprah up, and, uh, you know, wanted to shoot that. We had no camera people to shoot that. They weren't trying to fund that money to make that show pop as popular as it could have been had they implemented all the ideas that I had to take the show to the next level because I understood how people in their phones and I understood how content gets distributed. So now the breakfast, here we go, you get rid of Ed Lover who makes a shitload of money. At the time, I think I was making about eight hundred dollars to $900,000 a year. So you get rid of me. I'm the black guy that makes a lot of fucking money and then you bring in three people who are very talented, don't get me wrong, but they collectively, I don't know what they make now, but they collectively, I knew then, they co- collectively wasn't making what I was making a year. So, of course, you have an opportunity to pay less and still get a product that you can work on and make it as good as what you had before. I never got fired for ratings. I was never out of the top five, 12 plus in New York City in a ratings book. And I'm not knocking Charlemagne or Angela Yee or Envy. They always show me love. They always say good things about me. But after I was fired from Power 105, I figured with everything that I had done in radio, from being a pioneer on the Hot 97 morning show with Ed, Lisa, and Dre, to the Ed Lover show with Dr. Dre again early when we first flipped Power 105 to a hip-hop station in New York, to Ed, to Egypt, and, and, and Donnell Rollins, Ed Egypt and Ashy, to that, to my own afternoon show, and then back to the morning show, the Ed Lover Show, you know, Ed and Malika in the morning. For me to just lose that job and to be called into an office on a Friday and told that I will be, they will be going in a different direction. That's what the program director told me. And then escorted out the building like a piece of common trash. I thought, no big deal, I'm Ed Lover, 
everybody knows me. Everybody knows that I'm one of the best when it comes to radio. I'll find another job immediately. And it did not happen that way. Two years later, I'm running through my money because I'm trying to keep my bills paid up and I'm still not employed. And I'm starting to get depressed. And everyone that I knew that I thought had mad love for me, few people were returning my phone call. I can tell you who had my back. I can tell you Leo Cohen had my back. I can tell you Russell Simmons had my back. Um, I can tell you Michael Kaiser had my back. I can tell you Baby Sam had my back. I can tell you Geo Bivens had my back. I can tell you a lot of people had my back. Kevin Lyles had my back. Uh, one of the first people to call me after I got left, let go was uh, Shaquem Kamper, who was Queen Latifah's partner in Flavor Unit. Oh, all of these great people had my back. Some of them even offered me jobs. Three years later, I'm still not employed. I'm still living off money. I'm still picking up gigs here and there. Every now and then, $10,000 or $5,000 will come through to help me out immensely. Depression set in. I remember one night I'm crying, and my wife, who was my fiance at the time, was in our house, six-bedroom house in West Orange with almost a $5,000 mortgage and car payments and lights and gas and cell phone bills and kids in school um, and a, and a big-ass fucking child support check because I was making that kind of a money. So my child support was $5,000 a month and better for my ex-wife and my two kids. And I'm just wondering, what am I going to do? How come nobody's hiring me? Am I out? People looking at me different. Rumors are floating around on social media. Oh, Ed Lover got fired. People are, 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 are commenting. Yeah, fuck him. He was old. Just that new shit. Nobody need that. You know, all of this shit that was really, really bothering me, really hurting my feelings. Come on, son. Kept me going. I was picking up checks from different companies. E1 came to the table and had a um, platform. Uh, kind of like a LOL platform, what they were doing when they was giving me a check just to put Come On Son up on their platform every month. You guys kept me going by buying merchandise, hats and T-shirts, and, and then I'm picking up a check here doing stand-up comedy, picking up a check there, but not that steady money like I was used to getting, feeling depressed, crying to my, to my uh, fiancé at the time, and actually saying to her, sometimes I think I'd be better off dead. That's how down I was. But I had to come to the realization that being on the radio and being Ed Lover is not who I am. Yeah, Ed Lover is part of me. Yeah, Ed Lover is who I am. But it doesn't define who I am as a man. I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a husband. And I'm a friend. And there's a lot of people that love me. And I had to realize that before I do something stupid like that, that I'm not just, you know, the selfish is what it is. I'm not just hurting myself physically. I don't want to be here no more. I, I, you know, I, I never got to the point where I was really, really like I said it that night, but I never got to the point where I dwelled on it and was like, I'm going to take some pills or put a gun to my head and, and end it and leave my kids this insurance money so everybody will be fine. But it crossed my mind. And um, I had to realize that God had put me here for a purpose. And every single day that I wake up is a chance to start over. And when I kept looking and I kept going on these websites and Indeed.com and filling out these applications for radio jobs and calling my old 
program director because somebody said, well, maybe, maybe Ed, you know, Clear Channel won't hire you again. So I remember calling my old program director one day and saying, hey, am I on a not hire again list? And he was like, no, why, why would you ever be? And then we had a conversation about my old position. I told him how I felt about the way I was let go. I, I just felt I was treated unfairly. But every day that I woke up, my family and my friends around me let me know that I was loved, whether I was Ed Lover or not. I was loved by somebody. And I remember going to uh, East Orange. I lived in West Orange. I went to East Orange. I went to an East Orange job fair because I knew that being Ed Lover did not define me. Being Ed Lover, the celebrity, did not define who I am as a man. And if I almost got a job at FedEx and if I would have took that job at FedEx, I would have just been Ed Lover working at FedEx until something came along, until another opportunity came along. And an opportunity came along for me to get to Sirius XM. And then an opportunity came along for me to do part-time in Philadelphia. And from that part-time in Philadelphia job and using that as leverage to get my, my live show on Sirius XM came the opportunity for me to be syndicated in an Atlanta where I am now. I think that sometimes we're afraid to look like a failure. I think sometimes we're afraid to fail, period. But you can't even enjoy or respect what you have unless you fail. This, this is a roller coaster ride of a business, folks. All that is gold. All is not gold that glitters. That's what I'm trying to say. And this is a roller coaster ride of a business. Sometimes you weigh up. Sometimes you weigh down. Sometimes you got a shitload of money. Sometimes you don't have a shitload of money. I never got to that status where I was a Forbes list type of guy. It's not like I lost 50, 60 million dollars. I had years that I made two, two and a half million dollars. I had years that I made 1.5 or, or, or three million, but it wasn't on that consistent, steady basis. I wasn't at the forefront of the explosion of super money. The Jay-Z, the, the, the Diddy, the, the baby from Cash Money, the Master P money. I never had money like that. I had a good living, but then I got divorced and I had to give up my house. And then I had to pay a shitload of child support every month. That's really where the majority of my money went. But I'm not mad about it because I have two well-rounded, beautiful children who are smart as fuck. So if I had to pay a shitload of money for them to maintain their lifestyle and to become the children that they are now, I'm really happy that I did that. I'm really happy that I did that. But when it comes to my people, when it comes to losing so many people, Stretch lost the murder, Biggie lost the murder, Pac lost the murder, all unsolved. But then you come down to it and you're looking at Shakir Stewart and Chris Lighty, two powerhouses in the music business, taking their own life. And now the possibility that there's a third with my man Garnett Reed taking his own life. You know, it's just crazy crazy, crazy that this kind of stuff is going on. And it's funny because my girl Shanti Dots was now part of the management team for Young Jeezy. My girl Shanti Dots and I had a conversation about it because at one point in her life, she was down. She was a big wig in the music business. First head of promotions for LaFace Records during the TLC time, the Usher time, all of that 
Tony Braxton, Tom, all of that great shit that they had on there. She was the head of the promotions department. And, of course, downsides happens. LaFace breaks up. L.A. goes to Def Jam. She goes on to somewhere else. Her mom gets sick. She comes back. Then she can't get back in the industry. She confessed to a lot of people that know her and love her that at one time she was suicidal. Her father died of suicide. I had her on the show talking about that. We talked about the, you know, her whole of face perspective and the fact that we don't talk to people when we're depressed. And that's weird, but it's also true. Depressed people don't like to reach out to other people. We always go, ah, and oh my damn, and oh God, and oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. When somebody takes their own life, when somebody that we love that's not in the industry anymore or whatever you do for a living, that you think that they fell off and we abandoned them. I want my roses while I'm alive. I don't want my fucking roses when I'm died, when I'm done and I'm dead and in the grave. I want my roses while I am alive. So let's reach out. Let's tell somebody that we love them and mean it. My friends and I, all masculine guys, every last one of us, and we always, every single time, we have a conversation. These are grown men. If we're on the phone, if we see each other, the last thing we say to each other is, I love you, bro. I love you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that I love you because tomorrow is not promised. You have to say I love you. You have to let people know. And my man Rob Love, who's former Def Jam promotions guy, an executive over at Def Jam, upon hearing of Garnett's passing, said something, and I'm paraphrasing here, when he said, let's make sure that we pick up that phone and reach out to each other and tell each other that we love them and that we care for each other. And if somebody is down on their luck and they're in the industry and they're trying to get back in, if you can do something for them, do something for them. Even if they're not, if there's somebody that you know that lost their job and they could be a friend of yours and you at work, if you could do something for them, do something for them. But the most important thing he said is let a yes be a yes and a no be a no. Don't string them along. I've been through that. With famous people in the business who I shall not name at right now, but at some point, at some day, I will come out and say who it was, who led me astray, led me on when they knew I was at my lowest point and wasn't man enough to say to me, hey, Ed, I don't have nothing right now or there's nothing I can do right now. Instead of doing that, they just stopped fucking picking up my calls and wouldn't take a meeting with me. It made me feel like a piece of fucking shit. And that's disgusting and it's dirty and it's wrong. So let a yes be a yes and let a no be a no. If you can do it, say, hey, yo, hey, got you. I could do it. If you can't do it, all you got to do is say that you can't do it. That's all. Don't lead people on because you never know what's going on in somebody's life. You never know how down they are. You never know how depressed they are. You never know how their bills might be mounting up on them. You never know if they're really actually contemplating suicide. More people contemplate suicide than will openly talk about it. But now it seems like every single day, more and more people are committing suicide. We'll find out if Garnett Reed really and truly committed suicide. I really hope not. Because then it's just too many times and, and, and it's too much. How many times do we know somebody that's in their 40s that are dying from a heart attack? It's bad enough that we're losing our black men every day. It's bad enough we're losing our black men to heart disease, diabetes, strokes, kidney failure, cancer, police brutality, police misconduct, 
But now we're starting to lose our black men more and more to suicide. There's something absolutely wrong with that. Absolutely wrong. And it'll stop happening if we start talking to each other. If we open up and we start having conversations. If we start loving each other a little more while we're alive. And not waiting until somebody's died. <clears throat> Excuse me. To show up to their funeral to talk about how much we love them. We ain't show them no love when they were alive. If we start doing that, we can stem the suicide rate among black people in this country. Black women are doing the same thing. Can't take it no more. Committing suicide. Leaving children and families and husbands to deal with it. That's a hard fucking pill to swallow. That's somebody that you love. That's somebody that you saw every single day of their life. That's somebody that lived in the house with you or somebody that was your neighbor and lived around the corner or somebody that you saw briefly that you thought was a friend that you thought everything was cool with decided to take their own life. I'll keep you guys updated on whether or not Garnett Reed took his own life for real. You know, it's just, it's, it's rumor and innuendo right now. Some people are saying, you know, natural causes. Some people are saying that he committed suicide. I really hope that he didn't commit suicide. But what you did do, Garnett, is spark something inside of me to help let my voice be heard, to let people know that there are places that they can't get treatment and that mental health is just as important or even more important than physical health. You know? We, we, we all got to take care of ourselves mentally and physically. Mental health, physical health go hand in hand. And mental health is not something that we should be afraid to discuss in the African-American community. It shouldn't be something that we're afraid to, to openly seek help and take care of. A lot of us suffer from post-traumatic, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, just living the way we live. Just seeing how many of our friends get shot and killed sometimes right before our face. It's the equivalent of somebody sometimes going away to war. How many people that a lot of us can rattle off that we know have gotten killed or we saw gotten killed. We need some time to seek professional help. When somebody in your family that you're really close to dies, we just, we just insulate it. Insulate it and we just keep... Moving on, like everything's fine. We cry at the funeral and everybody goes, Are you all right? And you go, yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. That bravado come out. You know what I'm saying? I'm a ride for my man. I'm good. I'm a ride for my girl. I'm good. But a lot of times you're not good. A lot of times you need to go to, even if it's a group, you know, to deal with the agony of losing somebody that's close. Grief counseling is what it's called. And sometimes we need to go there. And a lot of times that we don't. Seriously, y'all, if you know somebody that's depressed, if you even have an inkling that somebody that you love or you're associated with, excuse me, is depressed, or if you're depressed yourself, reach out and get some help. There's no shame in getting help. Your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Okay? Your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Reach out, talk to somebody, get yourself together, get better, help that person get better, love that person enough to want to help them. Because I wish that I would have known 
that my friends that committed suicide were on the verge of committing suicide because there's nothing that I would not have done to help them save their lives. And hopefully somebody listening to this podcast, I can help you save your life. Maybe you're going through something and maybe you just don't know how to talk to somebody about it. Maybe you don't think that anybody understands, but there's a lot of us out there that have been where you've been. There's a lot of us out there that have contemplated suicide before. There's a lot of people out there that understand what a state of depression is all about. And there's a lot of people out there that have climbed out and have gone on to live productive and healthy lives, physically and mentally. So talk to somebody, y'all. Talk to somebody before we lose somebody else. Talk to somebody because as you all know, life is too damn short and you never know when God is going to call you home. So in the meantime and in between time, be well, keep God first. Everything else will fall into place. I'll talk at you, to you and about your ass for real. The next time I do a podcast, all right, be good. If you can't be good, be careful. And if you can't be careful, just say, come on, son, and keep it going. I'm Ed Lover. This is Kibbutz said, and as usual, I give you the good shit, never the bullshit. Until the next time, be well. God bless. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Kimana Paulus and Krista Hayes. Recorded at Mean Street Studios in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, this is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.